What happens when a radio broadcaster gets let go from his sports talk job? Well, he tries to figure out what he wants to do next for a career. And in the meantime, joins the 4 million other podcasts on the internet and the John Cast is born. Join me each week as I talk to guests I find interesting or entertaining from the world of sports, play-by-play broadcasting, or whatever else sounds fascinating to me at the moment. The John Cast is what I'm doing until I figure out what I'm doing. Subscribe, download, and I hope you learn something along the way. Pete, what are you drinking? Uh, nothing as of right now. I may have to go up and pour myself a glass of water as we talk here, but, uh, but nothing. How about you? I've got, uh, my morning coffee as usual, uh, with the oat milk and the sugar this time I went with a little extra sugar. So you just, are you a caffeine guy or just drink up straight up water to get going? Yeah, just, just water. No, I, um, I basically got rid of caffeine probably 25 years ago or so. I used to drink a lot of soda at work. Um, to stay awake because I had such weird hours. We were an afternoon newspaper and I just, it just affected my sleep so much. I finally just dumped caffeine. And uh, so that helped quite a bit. Wow. That's amazing. 25 years without caffeine. Um, by the way, uh, you can support this podcast with a small monthly donation. You can find that link on the podcast description and on the episode description. And I've got some really cool news starting on Monday. I've partnered up uh, with a local sponsor and I've got my first sponsor of the show. I'll tell you all about it on Monday. And part of why I started doing this is because I wanted to a, just kind of pass the time to uh, B talk to cool people and C I wanted to do cool things for the listeners of this podcast and those who had listened to me previously on the radio. So I'm going to do something pretty cool, I believe, uh, for you, the listeners. So stay tuned and I'll tell you all about the sponsorship. It happens next week, but my guest today is longtime Packers beat writer, and you can follow him on Twitter at Pete Doherty. He covers the Green Bay Packers. He is Pete Doherty of the Green Bay Press Gazette. Pete, how's it going? Good, good, John. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, an honor and a privilege to be here with you. Yeah, this is awesome, man. I'm, I'm glad you're on the podcast. So, has the Packers been keeping you busy lately? Anything going on with the Packers? No, no. It's been uh, it's been pretty pretty quiet the last week or so. Uh, so I've been able to get a lot of rest. How did okay? I want to get your thoughts first before we even talk about Chiefs and Packers. The whole Aaron Rodgers immunity, the vaccine conversation. You know, he goes on Pat McAfee. Uh, what are your thoughts on how this became such a national story that he was even parodied on Saturday Night Live? Yeah, well, it's such a hot button issue, and um, I'm trying to think of the phrase. I was talking with a um, a doctor about this, and he called. Um, an identity anchor, I think, is what he called it. So, you know, it's just something that a lot of people, it's part of our identity on whether you think vaccination, your, your view on vaccination. And um, so that's, and he's a famous, famous, famous guy. I mean, he's one of the most famous guys in the country, right? The, the premier quarterbacks, they're way up there on the on the fame list in this country. So um, it was, obviously, it was, it was huge news. I just somebody just sent me a uh, link to a story. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. That says uh, the headline was Rogers was surprised at the at the negative reaction, and um, I'm really surprised that he was surprised by that, um, just because of what a hot button issue this is. And the way that he kind of talks about the state of the media, like he's talked about it before, like he understands if he's going to. I mean, if he is um, such a, what was the word he used? Um, 
um, not self-educated. What was the word? Uh, he was such a critical thinker. Critical or, uh, thinker. Thank you. If he's such a critical yeah. thinker, then he probably did the research enough to know that this is probably going to cause some controversy. So I'm with you. I mean, how do you not know in today's climate after the way that you spoke about how the media tries to clickbait and everything else like that? How do you not know that this is not going to become a pretty big issue? You know, I'm sure he thought it would make news. Yeah. You know, and that it would it would draw, you know, a reaction around the league. But I don't I'm sure he didn't envision the things that you talked about. And you know, and I even I'm a little like I found the Saturday Night Live thing a little eye opening that it was, you know, that that they use it for their for their opening, but um, but that it made national news and that you know it stayed national news and that everybody who weighs in on these things weighed in on it. Um, you know, I, I don't think that should have surprised him at all. And what, you know, really what made this such a big deal and I, you know, maybe this is just my perspective, but I, the thing that stunned me finding out that he wasn't vaccinated was because he said he was vaccinated and he can parse words all he wants. But even if, if you want to really go down the word parsing thing and he used immunized instead of vaccinated, he was asked are you vaccinated? And the first word out of his mouth was, yeah. Yeah means yeah. So he said he was unvaccinated. He did everything to appear unvaccinated to, you know, to the media and the rest of the world. And so to find out two and a half months later or whatever, three months later, whatever ended up being when under this whole time, you assume that he was being upfront when he said he was vaccinated and it turns out he wasn't. I mean, that was just, that made the whole thing shocking. If he had just come out and done it in August or whenever that first press conference was, I think it was early August, um, there would have been some controversy in a firestorm, but nothing like, I think, um, you know, what's, what's happened last week. Did you, uh, did you feel unsafe in the media auditorium? Because it, it does appear that they went against protocols. However, I mean, and he, you know, I actually understand his rationale for not wearing a mask is, is kind of weird as that sounds. It said, you know, he said he was tested. He said he was in a room full of vaccinated reporters and he said he was like 20 feet away. So I understand like if you're getting tested and it says negative, then you should probably feel pretty confident. But at the same time, a protocol is a protocol. Yeah. And you can, yeah, I mean, look, no, I never felt unsafe. The, the, you know, they even closed off the first row in the auditorium. There is a big, big space between the podium and where the reporters sit. This is at the Packers facility. Um, so there was, even if, even if he hadn't been testing every day, because I, I think you can test negative and you still might be able to shed the virus because you'd test positive the next day. So you still might be able to give it, but he is so far away. I'm vaccinated. He's so far away. Uh, no, I was, I was, I never felt unsafe around him, but the rules are the rules. And, you know, at these road games, um, you know, the, the media rooms where they bring the, the, the guys in to talk, the coach and a couple players, like this last game on Sunday, it was really small. I was, you know, seven feet from Matt LaFleur to probably even closer than that. And people sitting in the front row were, you know, even closer than that. So they might've felt unsafe. I never felt unsafe, but the the protocol that he, where he made a, I just think a, just a glaring gross error was going to that Halloween party. Yeah. Asked, unvaccinated. I mean, that breaks every rule and that's actually taking a real risk and, and putting other people at risk. 
And I thought the NFL, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Pete, did not, didn't the NFL have some sort of rule, whether it was the start of this year or last year when they played during COVID, wasn't there a rule that if you go out and, and party or something, like you can face some pretty severe discipline. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, that was, uh, so the, the NFL, and this is not, this isn't the NFL just imposing this on people. The, The NFL and the NFLPA agreed to this set of rules. This was bargained. And it's, it's the rules coming in into this season was I, I, I don't have a, I, I don't know if I'm getting this quite exactly right, but you can't be, you can't go to a place with teammates if you're unvaccinated or there's more than three of you in a room in close contact, you know, away from the, away from the stadium, you can't be, you can't go to a bar or nightclub that has more than I think three people in it that's enclosed I mean, they're, they're, it's really specific, and you know, he just blew those out of the water with the Halloween party, which you know, you wonder what else he was might have done too. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason is he can, and, and maybe he did. Maybe he wore his mask around the facility, minus the uh, the podium. Um, but then, you know, it's 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 hard to trust that because then he goes to like you said the Halloween party, and then you start to wonder, okay, well, where else was he going? without that and violating these NFL protocols, but overall, nothing's going to to happen to him. He's still going to, to be able to play. Right. And they're not going to say, now you oh, can't yeah. play a game. No, no, he will not get suspended for this. He'll get fined. Yeah. He'll definitely get fine for the Halloween party. I think the first fine could be like $14,000, something like that. I'm guessing he'll get fined for some, some figure. I don't know what it'll be for going to the podium. Unmasked all those times. The team will get fined for um, not finding him for going to the podium. They'll get fined 200. I think the first, you know, like the kind of the standard thing might be around 250,000. So they'll probably get hit with that fine. And I mean, almost guaranteed that that's it. And, you know, and I believe that he was following all the protocols around the office. I mean, I think the, the Packers confirm that he, you know, say that he was, I think they follow those rules really strictly. So I actually believe, I mean, I don't. I see zero reason to to doubt that, but but you do wonder what else he was doing away from the facility, and it's just, I mean, that Halloween party. That makes you wonder whether you know whether he got at the Halloween party. The incubation period is two days to fourteen days, so that was four days before, but it could have been you know the, a week more than a week before that he got it. Do you think this will eventually blow over? Because Aaron Rodgers, just his public perspe- perception, especially in the state of Wisconsin has taken some hits over the last several months. Is this something that will blow over or is this going to add on to some animosity that people may have already felt for Rogers? Well, it's definitely done that. And he's got his vocal supporters too. Believe me, I've heard, I've heard from every one of them, you know, but yeah, I I can't, I don't know the answer to that, John. It's an interesting question. My suspicion is that winning cures all. And if he plays great and the team keeps playing, great and they have a really good run this year that you know if things are going well in six weeks it'll mostly be forgotten if they're playing in the Super Bowl I doubt very many people would Packers fans would be rooting against them because because of this I doubt it um but only time will tell and only time will tell how this whether it affects their season or not does it affect his relationship with the front office um with the coach my guess is it won't as long as everything goes okay. That uh, this will this will blow over. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know that though. But that's just my best guess. 
Did you read the uh, opinion piece by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on Aaron Rodgers? Did you see any of that? I did. What did you think of that? Um, I thought it was really interesting. Um, You know, Kareem is a really bright guy. Um, You know, there's enough uh, people in the sports world who are very, very skeptical of the vaccines and aren't getting them that, you know, I don't know that this is that huge a dent in players' credibility, but there's probably, I'm sure there's a point to it. I mean, wasn't that the point of it was that he's hurting um, athletes' ability to get endorsements because people aren't going to trust him? Was that, that was basically the gist of it? Yeah. I remember that's part of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I get what he's saying and and it does erode a little bit. I don't know if it's a huge, huge blow, but it erodes it. It erodes it some, but uh, yeah, I found it really interesting though. I mean, Kareem is a, really talented writer besides, uh, you know, a couple of the other things he accomplished in his life. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Was, did you have a sports hero growing up? Was uh, who, who, who did you look up to? Yeah, he was one of them. Um, you know, what they won the title in 72. Is that right? 71. 71. Yeah. So I'm nine, I was nine years old then I was really into the bucks. Um, so yeah, he was one of them, you know, him and Oscar, um, you know, I loved all the Brewers, play, you know, Robin Yount and those guys. They were they were amongst my heroes. Um, so, yeah. I don't hear any football players in there. Oh, yeah. I was, uh, you know, I never missed watching a Packers game growing up. Um, they were <laughs> they were not very good. You know, I mean, I can even vaguely I can vaguely remember um, being in our living room. I was five years old being in our living room watching the ice. Bowl. It's really vague, but I remember we had. There were people over and everybody was just going nuts when Bart Starr scored that touchdown. But I can vaguely remember sitting around a black and white TV and watching that. Wow. That's awesome. By the way, I do want to talk about Rogers return and Jordan love and everything in just a minute. But so you remember watching, cause a lot of people always say they're at the ice bowl. You remember watching the ice bowl. Yeah. On TV. Uh, cool. I grew up in Madison. So we were um, sitting there in our little duplex and uh, on Hammersley road. And I, I, I'm pretty, I'd have to ask my parents about it, but, uh, or my mom, but I'm pretty sure that we had at least a couple people over. And I just, re- I just remember this, everybody just going nuts when they um, snuck the ball. And I, mean, I was only five years old, so it's just really vague. You know, it's, uh, it's not a real clear picture in my mind, but I do remember, I just, I can remember that feeling and remember all the joy in the room when, when Star scored. That's cool. So when did you want to write about sports? You know, I, it's basically how I learned was uh, how I learned to read was reading the sports page. I, you know, my mom told me that I started reading like when I was four or five years old. I think they don't start teaching you till first grade. I don't know. But whatever. It was like a year before you start learning to read. You know, she kind of taught me to read because I wanted to read the, the sports pages. And uh, so I don't know. I, that probably planted the idea without me really knowing it. I mean, I was, you know, when I was, I don't know, 10 years old, the really difficult decision I was facing was whether I was going to play in the NBA or major league baseball. So, you know, <laughs> um, so it was more, I was going to be a player than, uh, than to do this part of the business, but I didn't actually make the real decision to do it until I was in school at Madison and I was going into like my fourth year of a five-year journey there. And I decided, yeah, you know what? I think I I'd read, I was reading sports illustrated religious religiously. And I thought, you know what? I want to do that. And uh, so I went and talked to a counselor to see, what I'd have to do. And they advised going to grad school. And so I 
ended up going to grad school for journalism because I didn't, I wasn't involved in journalism at all as an undergrad. And so as soon as I made that decision, I was off and running. So what did you want to do before that fourth year? I had zero clue, zero. I thought about possibly, you know, coaching, except that I didn't want to be a teacher. I just, you know, I was only a few years removed from high school. And all I remember thinking was, I don't want to teach me and my friends. <laughs> It'd be an awful experience <laughs> trying to teach those, those knuckleheads, you know? So, uh, so I wasn't going to be a teacher, but who knows if I hadn't shown, chosen journalism, maybe I'd gone into being a teacher and a coach or who knows? I have, I really was, uh, I don't want to say going nowhere, but I was an English and philosophy major, you know? So that's not like there are jobs that directly lead to that. I wasn't, I didn't, I had zero desire to be an English professor, but I really, even then I knew I enjoyed, uh, you know, writing yeah, or at least found it rewarding. I don't know if enjoyed is quite the right word, but it's rewarding. So even then I, you know, I, it, I guess it was probably a pretty good bet. I'd be in some kind of field where, you know, that was a big part of it. Would you recommend going to grad school for journalism to somebody now? Oh man, that is a really loaded and tough question, John, because the Journalism landscape is really ugly. And I talk with older colleagues about this. I'm like, I'm so glad I'm not 22 years old and in journalism school right now. Now, maybe things will turn when people finally figure out how to make money off of this, off of this business. But right now, it's just, it's so hard just for the regular daily newspaper type, radio type, TV type reporters to make, you know, to, to make a good living. There's so few jobs. Um, it's a really bleak, uh, it's a really bleak market out there. Um, but we need, we, this world really needs good journalists. And so I wouldn't want to dissuade somebody from doing it because we need them, but it's could be a really rough road. You know, I, I don't have kids, but if I did, I, I would have trouble recommending going into journalism. Um, just for career purposes, that'd be, that'd be a tough call. Yeah, it, it would be for sure. I totally, I, I say the same thing just about, about radio. <laughs> I mean, it's all kind of connected in that way. Yeah, Although, you know, there is this podcasting thing, which I'm doing now. And um, this is just a fun way to kind of continue that radio tradition and, you know, the internet, you can type whatever you want, right? So, yeah. Like, and there's Substack and all that. So there, there are ways you can make it, but it's, it's really tough and it's so much, it was so much better for journalism when there was that huge infrastructure out there. Yeah. These thriving newspapers um, and, you know, thriving radio stations. It was just so much, it was such a better way to produce, develop and produce good journalists. And so, but yes, there are ways to do it. So maybe it'll turn out that 10 or 15 years from now, it's a, it's a really viable, good way to make a living doing things more independently. I mean, there's a real possibility um, that, that that could happen, but you know, there's also a possibility that things will keep getting worse too. Yeah. So what was it like? What's the biggest differences in, in journalism as far as the sports side of things from like maybe the first five years you got into this over the last five years that you've been in, in this, are there, what are the major differences that you, yeah, it's all tech. It's all technological. Um, okay. So when I started, newsrooms had just been fairly recently converted where they all had, you know, um, basically, I don't know, PCs, com you know, computers, but they weren't computers where you go online. It was just computers where you, you know, there were, word pro it was basically word processors. 
So when I got into, you were doing that when I had in um, when I my first news writing class, we still wrote on a typewriter. If you can believe that, <laughs> when you actually worked for the, the the newspaper that the grad school put out, or that the journalism school put out, where I went, um, you know, you did it on a computer, and that's how all the you know real real uh, newsrooms around the country already were. But like when you go on the road, they had these computers made. They were Tandies, I think was the uh, was the company's name. Okay. And they were flat and they had a screen that had four lines of copy. And to, ch- I, to change anything was a, um, took a monumental effort. You know, you could, you could do some cutting and pasting if I remember right, but you could only see four, uh, four lines on the screen of four lines of copy to send the story you had to call a number at the newspaper and then you take it, it was a landline and they had couplers where you'd put the ear and mouth pieces into these couplers. And then it was like a fax machine and it would make all those noises fax machines would make. And you press send. And for just a regular normal story, it would take probably a good two minutes at least for it to send. And now you sit down, you have access to any information you need on your computer you bang out the story, you cut and paste it and email it to your boss. And it takes, you know, to email, it takes five seconds or, you know, you have access to the actual, we, like it's called Presto in our, uh, in our newsroom, which is where all the, everything is published and everything is, you know, all the stories are put up and I could go in there and just cut and paste and put the story in there if I want to. I don't, my boss does all that stuff, but um, so the speed and the technology has just changed so but you know back i remember when um facts on demand came out you probably don't even know what facts on demand is i guess no, i don't know so, when fax machines came out first they you know like if you i was covering uw green bay basketball and you could get uh you could get stats you'd have when i first started you'd call the sid of whoever they were playing and you'd have to talk to them for 20 minutes and he'd give you all their stats then they came out with faxes where they could just fax it over to you then it came out where at any hour of the day, you could call fax on demand and you could, you know, there were different things you could request. You know, they'd go through the, on the call, they'd say, you know, press this if you want this information. And I could fax, I could press a number and they'd fax on demand the stats and the little write-ups they had of their, what's happened with them for the last week. You know, if they're playing, if GB was playing Eastern Illinois. And that was like the coolest thing ever. It was unbelievable, you know? And it's just laughable to think about now with how easy it is to, you know, how accessible the information is online. It's just night and day. And then, then social media has totally, completely changed um, a big part of our jobs over the last, especially the last five years or so, you know, with, with Twitter. And I mean, Twitter goes back farther, of course, but, you know, with Twitter and, and blogging and all that stuff, it's obviously changed things dramatically and Instagram and everything. And that's weird because, okay, you brought up social media because it's weird because the newspaper or the radio station has no connection, but they do to your social media. You know what I mean? They don't own it. It, That's you. That's your thing on a very separate account with a very large corporation. Um, And then you're disseminating in from, it's just a weird thing to me. It is. And um so anybody who follows me knows, I don't know how I have, I don't have any look, but it's, I don't know if it's 30,000, 40,000 followers. I don't, it's, you know, it's not that many, but I, I really don't tweet very often. Um, 
And one of the reasons I don't is, one is, I, you know, it can really be a cesspool, the, the way conversations devolve. I just, it's so counterproductive. And uh, just the, uh, <laughs> just the anger and hate that comes out is just, it's, you know, it's kind of stunning. So for that reason alone, I don't, I don't tweet a lot, but you can also get yourself, you know, you have these instant reactions to things and you can just get yourself in really hot water or your things can be taken in a way you didn't mean. And, you know, I've seen a lot of reporters get themselves in a lot of trouble and that that alone just makes me hesitant to tweet. And so I kind of just never got in the habit of tweeting very often. I like to use it for mostly for uh, links, you know, posting or referring to links to interesting stories or to what someone else has said. That's what I mostly, what I do with, or disseminating information like um, so-and-so is hurt and they're not coming back in the game or, you know, Bakhtiari has a knee injury and he's done for the season, stuff like that. And that's interesting too, because, you know, you talk about, you may say something that you didn't intend in any way. And then all of a sudden there's a fraction of the internet or your followers, by the way, 37,900, Pete, I just looked it up okay, um, thanks. <laughs> that, that will attack you. And I, I think, isn't that kind of the portion of, of Twitter for the most part that Aaron Rodgers thought would attack him, but it actually ended up being a lot of, I think, reasonable adults attacking him and saying, Hey, listen, man, you, you're, you're, you're off on a couple of your things here. I understand you can do whatever you want with your body. That's fine. And I think most reasonable people feel that way, but I think that's what Aaron Rodgers was kind of uh, afraid of, right. Is, is the internet taking him? Yeah, down. yeah, for, for sure. And um, you know, that just brought to mind, I also think that media bosses pay way too much, give way too much credibility to re- Twitter reactions. Yeah. And I understand why, because it's loud and it's eye catching. But Twitter, people on Twitter, it's still a fairly small percentage of Americans. And the people who are tweeting a lot and weighing in a lot, it's just the loudest. It's just the ones with the strongest reactions. So just because like there could be a a seeming avalanche of criticism of someone or something on Twitter. And it, and so it just feels like the storm is hitting somebody and that's, you know, if they're the one being attacked, it's just brutal, you know, but it actually might just be a really, really vocal minority. And, but newspapers pay so close attention and not newspapers, television, radio, we all do. Mm-hmm. And I know, and it's our editors do, our bosses do, and I think they give disproportionate uh, voice to those strong Twitter reactions. And maybe you know, hopefully, as time goes on, you know, they'll um, we in the media will do less and less of that. But um, I think that's a real. I think there's a real point to that. That it's just the vocal and you know spectrum, the far ends of the spectrum the loudest ones can give a, get a disproportionate amount of attention. It's the same kind of way in, in radio. Like if you had gotten an email from a listener or a message that complained, like if you got one or two, all of a sudden, sometimes people would look at that and go, Oh my gosh, what's happening? The whole thing's falling apart. <laughs> oh, you could agree a- completely. You've had that happen, right? Where I mean, yeah. I'll get, emails and something i'll think oh my god what you know did i make did i do something really stupid here am i wrong 
and it's just five angry people. Five, you know. Yeah. I'm sure you've had the same. You've had the same thing. I would thought all the talking you guys have to do. You had to, you had to say things that just really anger people, and you hear from you hear from five of them, and and you and you feel like, oh wow, you know, this is what's going on here. Yeah. What's or, what's your dog's name again? I forget. That's that's Winston. That's Winston. Winston, it's okay, there's buddy. Squirrel, there's a squirrel on the back porch, so let me. Uh, well, we know how much Winston and all dogs kind of love squirrels. I get it. Um, all right, Pete. So, uh, what was I going to? Oh, I was going to ask you one, uh, a couple more questions about journalism. Then I do want to talk a little bit more about Rogers on the field. Um, sure. What are your thoughts about? You know, I kind of mentioned like everybody has uh, an opportunity to write whatever they want. Um, as somebody who works you know, in the newspaper grew up kind of like, Hey, if you're covering this beat, this is the way, you know, you kind of project your career out and, and you get the the media access through this organization and everything like that. How do you feel about other entities that are able to, you know, basically start their own company? Like, Hey, I'm going to cover the green Bay Packers. I'm doing this, or, Hey, I'm going to cover this. I'm going to, I'm going to blog about this team. Um, because sometimes I think there's this blurring of, that you know the, the the bigger names like you and from a bigger you know source where i kind of trust that information more than i trust the information coming from somewhere else and then there's this whole mesh of information some from you know reporters like yourself who's been doing it a very long time and others from from people who are kind of starting their own their own news organization i guess in some way yeah you know there's it's an ecosystem out there and actually you know i i gotta say i'm pretty much for it i think there's room for a lot of different ways of covering a team. So for instance, like you're familiar with Aaron Nagler and she's had TV and all that. Mm-hmm. And Aaron didn't go to journalism school. He just got into this just cause he loved the Packers. And uh, he's, you know, and he, and he always, always followed the media a lot closely too. Um, and he came in from more of a fan perspective, but there's a place for that because who follows the Packers Packers fans. So they want to, they enjoy hearing the opinion of someone who's a big fan and a really, really, really well-informed one who's kind of part media, part, part fan. I, there's a, there's definitely a place for that. Um, there's a place for the people who are paid to be try, paid to be as unbiased as possible, which is the kind of job that I have. Um, there's room for, you know, there's become this, um, area of expertise with these people who study film. Uh, you know, they, they watch NFL film. There's a guy uh, up here, uh, Andy Herman, who, who does that. And he actually went to, you know, there are, the, there are guys, uh, former scouts around the country who run scouting schools, and you can go uh, train with them for courses either, you know, for a week, you go and do it in person, or I think you can do it online, you know, over the course of however much time they teach you how to watch film. And Andy went and did that. And he watches, he, he grades every player, every game. I mean, he can tell you things and teach you things about a football game that I could never, I don't have that kind of expertise. So there's a place for him. Now he doesn't, I have, I have access to sources around the league, you know, coaches and scouts. So I can learn things that he can't via that. And I've got 30 years experience covering this. So there are things you learn about how the league works and how they think that, that he doesn't, but he can break down film. I can never do what he does and teach what he does and make the observations he does. So I think there's a place for, uh, for a lot of people, for all of us, you know, 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I really like that. Yeah, you can, you know, if you want to cover a sport from this angle, you can. If you want to just talk about it and be your own host, if you want to. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty cool way to look at it because the internet has allowed for these kind of specialized looks at teams. You know, even think of like a pro football focus, you know, and how they become so specialized with their numbers and how they view the game. So, yeah, if somebody really wants it and they are willing to take the time to educate themselves. Yeah, you don't need to go to journalism school to do this. I mean, it's, what, it ain't rocket science what, what I'm doing here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um so if, for sure <laughs> so what did you think about jordan love's debut what did you think of uh jordan love with the one touchdown pass yeah um you know fairly unimpressive but i wouldn't call it discouraging if if you're the packers um he didn't get a lot of help with you know i think lafleur is right to think that he didn't have the best game plan or approach, or at least I didn't dial up the right plays. You know, the chiefs have a bad defense, but facing that coordinator Spagnola, he is a blitz guy and they blitz and the blitzes worked early. And this guy smelled blood in the water and they just kept blitzing and throwing those six and seven man blitzes at the guy. Mm-hmm. And it's really tough for a, a young quarterback in that circumstance. And he had some accuracy issues, but you know, was it due to being his first game ever played or does he have accuracy problems? I, you know, I'm not willing to say that he's got major, major accuracy issues. And I mean, Josh Allen did his first two years. He was in the 50, the mid fifties for completion percentage. That's really bad by NFL standards. And then in his third year, he really went underwent some uh, technical training with that uh, Tom house and Dudo out in uh, California. And in the last two years, I think he was at 69% completion last year, which is really high, and 66 so far this year. So those things, while tougher to correct, can be corrected. Um, I thought he stood in the pocket really well. One of the things to do, if you're going to win in the NFL, you know, the league catches up with these quarterbacks who all they can do is run. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where Lamar Jackson's doing so well is he's becoming a passer now. You know, he's really growing in that area. Um but you got to be able to play from the pocket. They will eventually make you look what the Packers did to Kyler Murray. They made him play from the pocket and yet you're going to run into a defense that'll make you do it. And to win the game, you got to be able to play there and you're going to have to take some shots and love proved that he was more than willing to do that. Um, he, he did not look super, very comfortable a lot of the time, but it's his first game. And, uh, you know, he's, I know he's a second year guy, but that his rookie year was really only like half a rookie year, no off season stuff. training camp was three weeks long. It's usually five, no preseason games his rookie year. Um, he wasn't taking, he wasn't taking the number two snaps in camp. He was splitting those with Tim Boyle. He was the number three during the season. So he wasn't getting the scout team snaps in practice even. So that was like half a rookie year for him. So, and they knew he was a project coming out. What I'd be interested in is if he played six games in a row, how does he look in the sixth game? And we're not going to find that out, you know? No, no, we're not. And Lafleur said, looking back on it, something along the lines that they're going to have like 35 passes and 25 runs. It's probably not a good recipe for success, right? Yeah. It just kind of yeah, gets he, back to what you were. Yeah, he, he fell on the sword. And, you know, and, he's, and there's truth to that. They did more shotgun than I would have done if I were them. You know, if you're under center, 
it's the your running game is better because the running backs are already on the run when they get the handoff. Um, so the run threat's more viable and you run the ball better when you do it. And then you're, so your play action, at least theoretically will work a little better, but yeah, that re, that ratio really probably should have been more the other way, you know, 20 some passes, low twenties for passes and low thirties for runs. Um, and they were, the game was close enough where I didn't think they needed to abandon it, even though I'm sure they were bringing the chiefs were bringing a safety up into the box quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So when the Packers take on the Seahawks, are we going to see Rodgers versus Wilson then? I would think so. Um, you know, Rodgers just has to test positive or test negative, sorry, test negative uh, twice with at least 24 hours in between them. For all we know, he's already doing, he may already be doing that. Um, he won't practice at all and he can't rejoin the team at the earliest till Saturday. Uh-huh. They haven't practiced. They practice for a reason to keep you sharp. But a guy with his experience and his talent, you know, he can he can skip a week of practice and still play a, a really good game. Yeah. And what what does he do during that week if he can't be with the team? How, how, what does the team does the team like to say, hey, here's your schedule. You do this on your own, or how would something like that even work? You know, I don't know what he's doing for physical workouts. He's got to be doing something. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm sure he's doing some kind of workouts at home. I don't know what he's doing for throwing. Um, if he's able to get outside with somebody and throw to them. Uh, but he's taking part in all the meetings via Zoom. And I'm sure it, the coach, I guarantee you, the coach and the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach are having, you know, separate long meetings, Zoom meetings with him, you know, to go over all the details. And I would guess he's probably doing, you know, he's got nothing else to do. I bet he's watching a lot of a lot of Seattle Seahawks game film, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I bet he is. And then, of course, then the, now the Packers have to. By the way, I thought the Packers played pretty well against the Chiefs. That if they had Aaron Rodgers in that game, I think they probably win that game. Um, so, w- what kind of a team are they getting themselves into with the Seahawks with Russell Wilson now back? Yeah, that's a good question. I was staggered by uh, how Mahomes just not playing any. He doesn't look anything like the guy he was the last couple of years. He's such a I mean, he's the best quarterback in the league. This just shows you this stuff happens to all of them. You know, Favre had bad years. You know, Rodgers has had some bad years and some bad times. I still think that I, my guess is somewhere along the road here, the Chiefs, you know, Mahomes is going to catch fire, but maybe it won't happen this year. But, um, you know, it just shows you how the, the league works. Because, Mahomes, like, if you threw all the quarterbacks in a draft and said, you know, pick, you know, you get the first pick, I'm taking Mahomes not thinking twice about it. So, I mean, the guy's a really gifted guy. So, the – Russell Wilson, he's missed now. He's missed time, and this is an injury, you know, and that's on on his uh, his a finger on his throwing hand. So you wonder how much that'll affect his how much throwing he's been able to do and how it'll affect his throwing. But he's, I mean, he's a really gifted guy too. So uh, Packers have their they played some really good mobile quarterbacks. They should at least their pass rush should be at this point really well trained to. When you're facing these mobile guys, stay in your rush lane. Keep the guy in the pocket. You sacrifice a little bit of pressure for not letting them get outside the pocket and kill you with those third down scrambles and runs and those big plays where they hit somebody downfield outside the pocket. So uh, they should be well prepared for that. The Seahawks have their have been having their own their own struggles on uh, on defense. Yeah. And the Packers, as far as, um, you know, obviously a loss without Aaron Rodgers is, I, I don't know, I just kind of look at it as it is, it is what it is, but I don't know. I, I feel like that 
kind of prove that they're they're still a Super Bowl contender the way that and I don't know if it's Mahomes just like you said just something on Mahomes' side or something that they were able to do against Mahomes but I guess a lot of teams have been able to do that but the point is Packers are still a contender here in this whole thing. Oh, I kind of think their odds are as good as anybody's. I mean, you know, Mahomes struggles aside, that was a really, really good defensive performance. I mean, really good. Those goal line stands, mm-hmm. that's really hard to do. And they, I mean, they played great and they did it without, they played this without their three best guys. No Zadarius Smith, no Jair Alexander. And they lost Kenny Clark in the first half. So, I mean, it looks like, I mean, all signs are pointing to getting Smith and Alexander back at some point, probably in December. And if those guys get the, can get a few games in, so they're game sharp. I mean, they'll be, at, they'd be at full strength for the, for the playoffs. Yeah. I, I think their chances, their odds are as good as anybody. I still, you know, I kind of think if I had to pick somebody, I'd, I'd pick Tampa. They might be the most talented team, but I wouldn't bet. It's not like I'd bet a lot of money on them. I mean, I, I, I think the Packers have to feel really good about their chances as long as everything holds together. Awesome. Pete Doherty. Um, I'm out of questions for you. I think this is the podcast, man. I think we did uh, about 45 minutes or so. It's the longest I've talked to you in a, in ever. Well, I hope I didn't bore you to tears. <laughs> no, not at all. No, this is fun. And I, I do appreciate uh, all the time that you did spend on the air with Mike and I, that was, I always loved when you were on, you know, when, when we had Pete Doherty on the show, I always knew like we we're going to have some quality stuff right there. So, you know, I, I always loved doing that show. One, you know, I grew up in Madison, so I, you know, could uh, talk to people in my hometown. And, uh, you know, I just like that you guys were not, um, you weren't just making hot takes to draw listeners and to just say outrageous stuff. I thought you guys had a really educated, reasonable, look at things. Um, even when opinions differed, it was just, uh, you know, really, it's, I just really enjoyed doing the show with, uh, with you two guys and, uh, and, uh, miss doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. But Hey, I got the podcast and this was pretty fun too. So I appreciate it, Pete. And, uh, everybody can follow Pete Packersnews.com is where he writes at Pete Doherty. That's P E T E D O U G H E R T Y Pete Doherty on Twitter. He's got the profile pick. Of Winston, I'm assuming, on his Twitter. Is that correct? The profile pic of, of Winston. Yes, that is it's Winston. Winston's yeah. a lot better now than he was in that picture. Okay. All right. And Winston is not uh, concerned about the, the squirrel anymore, so that's good. Well, the, the squirrel left, but it'll be back, and so will Winston's barking. That squirrel's going to just torture poor Winston. Pete, thank you so much for your time. Uh, John, that was, uh, that was great. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you. Thanks for having me. All right. See ya.